I never really sought after careers advice. I was very switched on. I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. What I've always sort of gone through life wanting to do what, what made me happy. I know quite a few people, even at this age now, who don't know what they want to do. That could be attainable one day. I'm not going to have that sort of money. Everybody that's on that course is the best of the best. So don't be disappointed if you go and you're not, not quite the best. The end of uni, to me, felt like it was going to be the end of the world. It's really difficult to answer that. I currently don't know where that fits in. It's the noise for me. It's the noise that sells a car. Yeah, if it makes a good sound, then I'm sold. Welcome to the Ignition Podcast, which takes you all off the cars and shows you the possibilities. I have conversations with people in automotive and motorsport to discover how they got to where they are today. CEOs, racing drivers, influencers, and more. This podcast started when I realised how hard it was to enter the automotive industry. Acknowledging this, I now speak to the people who have done it to help those who feel like it's that place for them or just want to enjoy the stories of life behind the wheel. And today's guest understands the industry's beauty. Harry Gravett is a modeler for one of the UK's most prestigious design agencies, Drive. Not only has Harry known what it's wanted to do since he was a kid, he's now living his dream job. From thinking after university his life would be over, posting his artwork on LinkedIn and now working on cutting edge projects. This is one of those who want to pursue their creative urges. And trust me when I say Harry is the right guy to listen to. Um, Harry, welcome to the podcast. There's a little question like to start with, as that is what ignited your passion for cars? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, I, I can't even remember a time when I, I wasn't interested in cars, really. Um, ever since a very young age, I, I was always... I remember my grandparents saying that I could walk through a car park with them and, and point to every single car as a toddler and tell them what, what the make and model was. Um, I've always had, you know, model cars since I was a kid. So I really, I couldn't pinpoint one specific thing, but um, I, I remember, I do remember a time as, as a child seeing um, a, a TVR Tuscan on the road for the first time. And I'm a huge fan of TVR and I just remember that being a sort of moment of thinking, oh my God, what's that? That's quite incredible. So, you know, there's a few cars for me that I do remember sort of, you know, as a child really sort of making me love cars, you know, even more than I already did. But no, I genuinely can't remember a time when I didn't didn't like them. So it's been my whole life, really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, now, I, remember, I remember like going on road trips and the cars would go past, you'd, you'd point out the cars and we used to play a game in the car, which is like... um. Name the company. Now, see how many cars you can name in a minute or something like that. And it really does it. Just like, yeah, so yeah. It really just gives you a, a connection with something that you didn't realize that you had in the first place. That's it. And I mean, I remember every single holiday, every time we went somewhere as a family, I'd always have to sit on the right hand side in the back of the car next to the window to see what's going past. And you know, when I was old enough, I'd always have my camera on my lap just in case. You know, you might see one good car on a journey, or you know. It was just, it was what I always did. So, yeah. Yeah. And what was your like relationship with your family? Because for me, like my, I guess I, I never had a, a car person to look up to. My dad was always, you know, he, he'd encouraged my passion for cars, but he never actually, you know, he wasn't into them as much as I am now. So like, I'm wondering for you, like, what was that like with your relationship with your parents or like, kids, parents, family? Like, what was that for you growing up? Yeah. I mean, I've, um, I've got two sisters who I absolutely love, but they're not into cars. Um, <laughs> my dad, he's always, um, he, he's into cars, but I think he's more into football, um, and he's always liked planes as well. Um, but I think he's always been very supportive of my interest in cars and, and we've, you know, I've grown up, we've always talked cars together and he's taken me to so many shows growing up as a child. You know, there was a point when, um, we used to go to the, uh, classic motor show at the NEC in Birmingham, um, mm. every single year. And I think we did that for about 10 years in a row. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> you know, getting towards the end of those 10 years, he was probably pretty sick of going to the same thing every year, but he always used to take me. Um, and so, you know, I've got quite a few sort of memories of days out, me and my dad together going to these events and, and seeing cars and, you know, me telling him all about them or, you know, things like that. We go to Silverstone together to the racing and, um, yeah, so unfortunately I've never repaid him really with uh, being interested in football because um, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't interest me. So um, it's, I guess you could say it's a bit, bit one-sided, but um, no, it's always, always my dad that, um, you know, I shared my, my passion with for cars really. Um, 
He's been very, very good in that respect. And uh, at, at this point now, you know, I've got my own car. I can take myself to events. So he's got a bit of a break from having to having to transport me everywhere for that, I think. So uh, <laughs> hopefully that's a good thing for him. No, yeah, it's great. I remember that's, that's, I mean, that support is massive. Like, I'm, I'm with you, like, my dad again, um, tell me to stuff and you, you go. I, I Sometimes I'll be like, well, why are you taking me? Like, at this point, I'll do it myself. But no, I think it's just... Yeah. It's great to have that bond with with the parent, isn't it? And to have that support as well, but to show that you know when you're growing up, okay, this is cool. So like for you, then Harry, like when was it you, you started thinking about? I don't know. Maybe I can have a job with cars, or maybe I can I can explore this passion further. Like what were your what were your teachers saying? What was that stuff like at school? Maybe when you talk about careers and you get to that age, like what was it like? Oh, you could do this, this, and this. Like what was the advice that was given to you? Um, I mean. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm sort of blowing my own trumpet here, but I never really sort of sought after um, careers advice at school. Um, I, I, I was very switched on. I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, I think as, as a young kid, I had that very sort of typical dream that a lot of car you know, enthusiasts as kids do have, that I liked drawing cars and I said, well, one day I'm going to be a car designer. Um and it got to the point where um, my oldest sister, who's six years older than me, she was looking at um, universities and, and courses at university. And I remember opening one of the prospectuses um, for one of the universities she was looking at and seeing that there was a course specifically for automotive design. Um, and at this point, I probably would have been, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years old. Um, and I just remember thinking, well, God, I, I, you know, you can actually make a career out of that. Um, and even from that point, um, I guess, you know, I just knew that that was what I was going to do. And so even at that young of an age, I used to go on the Internet and read up about courses. And, and I remember having a notebook that I used to write down like a I called it like a master plan where I put in there mm. jobs that I'd seen on the Internet in car design. And I started researching it from a young age. Um, and I think, you know, at the school that I went to, the careers advice was just very generic um, and they didn't really know anything about it. So I guess in terms of the industry, I, I kind of knew more at GCSE age and A-level age even than, um, than my school actually could, could tell me anyway. So um, I kind of, I, I think I remember going to one one careers appointment where um, they said, oh, what, what, what do you want to do? What's your plan? And I said, well, I, you know, I want to go to this course at Coventry University. I'm going to do car design and this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And they just said, okay, cool, off you go. And and that was all I I ever <laughs> ever really had at school. Mm. And um, I think I, I just sort of, I'd, I'd figured it all out myself, really. Um, I, I think, you know, the most support I'd, I'd ever had at school was always from, um, my art teachers, I was quite sort of, uh, you know, gifted um, at, at art, particularly at GCSE. And so they were the people that I spoke to most about it. Um, and again, I remember going on a trip at GCSE age to Staffordshire University, um, just a general art day for anybody that might have wanted to do art at, at university. Um, and my teacher uh, took me by myself to the, the transport design department just to go and chat to them. Um, so I think, you know, I was quite lucky really to have, um, you know, art teachers as figures to sort of look up to that perhaps didn't quite understand the design industry, but, you know, sort of knew a bit more than the careers advisor and that, if you like. So, but yeah, I was very, very switched on. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, for me, it was just a case of finding out as much of that as I could on the internet as possible. So. Yeah, so, I mean, so, did you just the idea was just that you stuck you stuck with this thing you love, which you know happened to be cars, and and you just went down a rabbit hole because I'm just thinking of, I mean, just off the back of my experience, the people I went to school with, they still don't know now, like I'm mid mid twenties, like don't know what they want to do. So did you just was it like I'll find this thing I love and stick with that because it can it can seem quite novel for you, I guess, like always knowing what you wanted to do. So what would you say is how did you figure that out? Um, I, I mean. Uh... Yeah, as, as I say, I, I've always been lucky enough to just know that that was what I wanted to do. And I think once I'd sort of set my mind to that, it, it was kind of, um, well, I'll find a way to do it, you know, whatever it takes. Um, and I remember sort of having one or two points, particularly, I think, when I was doing A-levels, where I sort of thought, I need to look at other options. 
Um, and so I'd start looking into, you know, I've always been interested in aerodynamics. So, you mm. know, looking at that side of it and, and going and, you know, becoming an, an aerodynamicist. Um, but it always came back to the creative side of things. Um, I think that, that was what I was best at. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that was what I was happy doing. And I, I think what I've always sort of gone through life doing is, is wanting to do what, what made me happy. Hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know, really, it, it was just nothing was ever going to stop me. I, I just knew I, I was so set and I, I, I don't know why or how, but I, I'm, I think I'm so, so lucky to have been that way because I, you know, the same as you, I know quite a few people even at this age now who don't know what they want to do and people that were very um, intelligent at school and, and, you know, had so much potential and it's not that that's wasted, but they just don't know where, where to put that. But I always knew you know, where where I was going um, for some strange reason. So incredibly lucky in that respect, really. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Like you say you've, you've been to all these car shows, you've been taken to all these events, you've been constantly, sort of, I guess, surrounded and reminded that this is a thing you love and it would only make sense that you keep doing that thing. So when it comes to a career, why not follow that regardless yeah. of that? And like you say, I'd do it no matter what. Like quite a few people don't have that attitude towards life. I think it's knowing that it's possible. It might, like, you know, the thing might not just appear in front of you, but if you, like you say, do the work and you do the research, it's it's very easily you know found. Yeah, and I think as well, um, you know, I always had this sense of um, playing to my strengths too, um, and drawing and design was something that you know I, I again I've done that from a very young age, and it just it happened to be that I, I enjoyed drawing a design and cars are what I was interested in. So obviously you marry the two together, and that's what I was always going to do. Um, and, and, you know, I was better at that at school, um, all throughout school than I, I was, at, um, you know, maths and science and English and, and everything else. Um, and so I, I think it was just a given really that, um, you know, I, I, what am I going to do best in and what, what are my interests? And, and it kind of, you know, the two just, just come together, I, I guess. So, yeah. And so look. I guess we'll skip forward to say, you know, you found your career, you found your the job as a designer, you love drawing. I mean, so is, for you, is drawing a creative outlet? Is it something that you can do to express yourself? Like, what does, you know, that side of, I guess, art do for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I guess it depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Cause I, I, I do find that, um, you know, I, I have to be in the mood for it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a creative outlet. I, I don't, you know, create pieces of art to um, convey an emotion, perhaps, you know, um, whereas I know a lot of sort of more abstract artists, if you like, that that's what they do, and, and a lot of designers as well. Um, and that's where I've sort of always struggled because I'm, I'm, I'm not that sort of person. I, I think really what it is, is that I've come from a normal working class background and I aspire to have, you know, Ferraris and supercars and this, that and the other that at the moment are quite out of reach. And so, well, what, what can I do to, um, to enjoy these cars? Well, I can make pictures of them and, and, mm. and design them. And, and so I think it was just a way of sort of, um, you know, a, a attaining them without actually having them. You know, I, I can't always go to these events every single day and see these cars and, and um, be surrounded by them. But it was a way to sort of appreciate them, particularly, you know, growing up when I couldn't take myself to events. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, I see it in the similar way that um, a lot of kids and even a lot of adults nowadays would spend time perhaps on their Xbox or their PlayStation, you know, racing these cars. Or instead, I'll just be drawing them. Um, so it's it's I, I don't think it, it's a, a creative outlet in terms of emotion. It's just my way of appreciating them and and, and enjoying them. Um, and I think I think being a, a designer and seeing everything from a design point of view as well. Um, you know, when I produce artworks of cars, um, I guess I'm appreciating the the design and, and mm. I'm looking at how the light hits things and and you know the angles and and kind of just. I think every piece of art that I've ever done, I've done it purely just because I think I really want that on my bedroom wall. And and that's all I've done it for, really. So just, just for myself to appreciate, really. Yeah, cool. I mean, you, what you talk about there, I guess, is an escape, isn't it? It's to, it's to give you a alternate reality. I mean, I know that yeah. the, first, the first time I saw it, I guess, a, a classic Mini Cooper. So like, you know, the Cooper, the Cooper S, that was the first thing that I thought. I mean, I imagine watching the challenge of going, like, I want one of those cars. 
and I got obsessed with them. You know, you start, like I say, you start drawing them. I, I'd find any racing game I played that I'd be drawn to that car. I mean, for you, what is yeah. that car? Oh, the one that draws me in. Um, I mean, there's so many. Um, but I, I think the car that really caught me, particularly growing up, that I've always sort of continually been obsessed with is I'm, I'm a massive Ferrari fan. Hmm. Um, and the car I had on my wall was a 360, Ferrari 360. Um, and that was the one that always drew me. I remember um, playing Need for Speed on the PlayStation and, um, you know, bumbling along in whatever car I was given because I wasn't very good at it and being overtaken by a 360 Spider and just thinking, well, what is that? That is stunning. Um, and so, yeah, as I say, I had one on my bedroom wall that I remember drawing them as kids, um, as a kid. Uh, it was, got a 360 was the first car I, I ever drove before I'd learned to drive. I went to one of the experience days. And so that's the car that I was always coming back to. Um, and, uh, I, I remember as well, so I always used to troll through, you know, classic car magazine and, and that as a kid. And I had a drawer that I'd stash them in and hide them from my parents so they won't go in the bin. And I'd flick through and find the classified ads. Um, and see that, you know, 360s in the, um, I don't know, the, the mid to late 2000s, you could pick them up for sort of like £40,000 or something and thinking, well, that could be attainable one day. Yeah. But obviously, as a 10-year-old child or whatever, I'm not going to have that sort of money. So I think, you know, that was the car that I, I I would always draw and I would always, you know, get on the games or, you know, that was the one I was always drawn to for me. Yeah. And so when you when you have this knowledge of cars and you you have the first day of university, it's so like put me put paint a picture of that for me, like walking for the doors, like figuring out what what is this journey is going to be like. What was that like for you? On my first day of uni, sorry. Yeah, no, so yeah, so you walk for the door, like what was what were you what were you expecting, like what was the feeling? Oh Jesus, um, do you know I was really nervous. I'm quite an anxious person anyway, um, but I, I I didn't really know what to expect because coming from um, school um where i'd never i didn't i you know i say i've researched into the automotive design industry but i i had no experience of it i had no links to it um and i'd i'd come from an art course and a product design course where i was top of the class um i, I just remember my my mum saying to me um i think it was my mum anyway said to me you know everybody that's on that course will be the best of the best or will be like you so don't be disappointed if you go and you know you're not not quite the best and so I was really scared because I wanted to gauge sort of where my skill set sat in amongst everybody else's um, and I, I yeah, walked over to the uni and, and they didn't you know we didn't kick off any projects or anything straight away I just went into the room and it was just a room full of, of people from the course um, and loads of us had spoken already on um, online, so it was it was so social. It was just putting names to faces, um, and I think that's one of the really nice things about you know that course at Coventry and the automotive design industries. We're a massive community, hmm. and so straight away it was just you know rather than being about design or whatever, it was all just forming you know bonds with people and and working out what sort of cars people liked, and I think. For me, I was in my element because I've never, never, I, up to that point, I'd never really had car friends through school. So I was suddenly in a room full of like-minded people. And I think all of that worry then of just, you know, where are my skills going to sit in amongst everybody else just went out the window because it's, oh my God, you know, everybody around here is, is like me, mm -hmm. um, which was quite an amazing feeling. Um, but then, you know, a couple of days in and they've got a sketch in shoes and bits of cars and this, that and the other and sticking them up and um I think, you know, it was just, uh, it was like life had started for me, really. Um, and I think for a lot of other people as well, that suddenly we were just in this environment where, um, you know, it was different to school where you were sat there forced to have to do something. It was, you know, everybody was there because it was what, what they wanted to do. So what was your idea of life going to be like after uni? And what, what were you seeing happening? Like, what did you expect? Like when you say... It was great. You found your people walking through the yeah. door. Like, yeah, what was that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I only ever saw um, up to the end of uni, really. Um, the end of uni, to me, felt like it was going to be the end of the world. Um, because, uh, you know, as I say, I've always been somebody that has to have something to aim towards. I've always been somebody that sort of knows where I'm going. And beyond uni was the unknown. 
So I think, you know, I, I counted myself lucky that I had a four-year course because they've cut it down to three years now. So that sort of period of paradise was kind of extended for me. And I, I do remember as well spending a lot of evenings driving home in my car, sort of feeling upset that I was halfway through or, you know, the clock was constantly ticking. So um, I think really I, the whole time I was at uni, I, I was just fully embracing the fact that I, I knew that you know I, I was with all of these people I'd found my people and I just wasn't taking that for granted but the thought of sort of finishing um, and being chucked out into the world and everybody sort of being dispersed was just like I, I couldn't think about it because um, you know as I say I, I was nothing was ever bad before uni but it's just I'd found something that was so incredible um, so yeah, I couldn't really think about that. I couldn't, couldn't think beyond uni. Um, and I was dreading finishing, dreading graduating. And quite honestly, it's it's been amazing. <laughs> so that was a, a pleasant surprise, really. Yeah, so you, didn't, you didn't spend a lot of time breaking things down again, like almost like, because I remember you, you, were, you were breaking the, the whole design thing down, you knew exactly where you wanted to go. So if I asked Harry, age 19, like what's next, he wouldn't have a clue. I... Uh, <laughs> No, I, I didn't. You know, it, as I say, it was the unknown um, because there's so many factors that sort of come into getting a job. You know, not only have you got to be really good, but you've got to know where you want to go. You've got to, um, you know, have links with people in industry. You've got to come across as a good person. It might be a portfolio or it might be an interview that sells you. Um, and I think, you know, for once, I, I was so out of control of that that... Um, uh, you know, I couldn't really, I, I had a few ideas of the sort of things I wanted to do, but, I, I, you know, I think everybody when they're graduating that course, unless you're somebody who is set to go somewhere because you know people, nobody really knows where they, they're going to be heading. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess all I could do at that, at that time as a 19 year old, if you like, um, was just, again, play to my strengths, do the best that I could at uni um, and sort of gain as many links to industry and, and, and people as I could um, and that's one of the things I've always done because as I say I, I come from a background where I didn't know anybody in, in, in the industry um, I sort of wanted to make sure that I came out of uni knowing as many people as possible um, so I would always take the time to speak to any you know anybody that came in and, and gave us a, a visiting lecturer or something yeah. like that we had an aerodynamics module with a guy for a couple of weeks and I sort of kept in contact with him afterwards and I get in contact with the um, previous graduates as well and just try and make as many contacts as I could um, just so that, it, you know, if I couldn't guarantee anything in terms of work and in terms of a job, I was at least guaranteeing that I had people sort of dotted around that knew who I was um, and, and I could go to. Um, but I think, you know, at, at the age of 19, God, what, what that been, 2018? So I started actually um, looking at yacht design at that point. Um, because I sort of figured, you know, car design is, you go onto a course that's that's mostly car enthusiasts, everybody wants to go into car design. And at that point, I wanted to do specifically design and not necessarily CAD or, you know, one of the other aspects of it. Um, so it's so competitive, you have to be the best of the best. And I knew that I wasn't the best of the best. So um, I thought, well, what can I do to differentiate myself? Well, I'll look at yachts instead. There's loads of opportunities within yacht design when you're at uni um, and hardly anybody goes for them in comparison. So I was sort of taking a bit of a sidestep at that age um, and, and, and trying something else out. So, um, you know, but it's always it's come back to cars in the end. It always comes back to cars. So, yeah, because I was going to say you've got you've now got a job uh, quite, you know, quite a good, quite a well-known design agency so if you to break that down like what were the steps what was the story behind where you are today so um i mean it, it i i would say it's mainly a case of right place right time um so i sort of did the later half of my degree um during covid which was incredibly difficult and at that point as we all know jobs were you know few and far between um Nobody was working in offices, everybody was on furlough, um, and so it was kind of looking a bit, um, the future wasn't looking great really. Um, and I did a lot of work just as for fun during COVID times, so I, I you know, was on a long summer break, um, and I remember just sitting and, and, and doing um, CAD practice, 
making models of cars and drawing cars, again, just purely because I liked them. Um, and I started posting on LinkedIn. And I got into conversation with somebody on there who um, gave me a lot of advice and kind of coached me to build my profile. And um, he said to me, oh, I've, I've spoken to this other guy that was on your course and, and I've helped him to get to, you know, 4,000 connections on LinkedIn. Um, and so I, I sort of thought to myself, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to build up my profile on there. I'm going to get my name out there. I'm going to get myself known. Um, and I put a picture on LinkedIn of a, a, a CAD model I'd made and rendered of a Mercedes CLK GTR. And overnight that got 40,000 views. Um, and a little bit after that, um, Drive spotted my work on LinkedIn. Um, and got into contact um, and they basically said to me oh you know have you got a portfolio could we have a chat with you um, and I came down to visit the studio and um, clearly they liked me and they offered me a job on the spot so um, I, I you know I do say that it's it's right place right time obviously a lot of hard work went into that too but I was just very lucky to sort of be in a position where Drive saw my work and um, and, and noticed me. Mm. Because um, I mean, I, I've, I've I've spoken to Chris, and I'm just wondering from from your opinion, like, what do you think was the reason he hired you? Um. Oh goodness. Um. Well, I remember him saying to me at the time. Um. One of the things that he liked was that. Um. My my job at Drive is a um an uh, alias cab modeler. Um. And I had sort of come down here with a portfolio full of alias models, and I said I want to be an alias modeler. Um, and he liked the fact that I wasn't a failed designer come alias modeler. I was somebody that wanted to do that from the off offset. So uh, that that's what I think. That's why I think he he would have picked me. But I don't know. <laughs> well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like you said, you've always know you've always know what you want to do. I guess was what he he said. I mean, yeah. he, he he said you told just your story. Um, and he said you, you he said you came to him and you want to be a modeler. You don't want to be a designer. Like, say you weren't a designer that wants to be a modeler. You want to be a modeler. Yeah. So. For those who don't know what alias modeling is, like, what do you do and what is your, what is your job? Like, what, explain to me. Sure. So, um, I mean, alias is, is a, uh, a CAD software that's used in the automotive industry mainly. Um, and so I guess my job, um, it, it, you know, there's a couple of aspects that you can look at it from, but generally, um, you know, a designer or our designer will come to me with um, some sketches, some drawings or, or, you know, renderings they've done of a design. And it's my job to make a model on the computer of that design um, and sort of, you know, depending on what it's for, um, to realistic standards. Um, and so you could also call it surfacing. Um, and so, you know, not only is it to make something that looks like the design, um, but it's also sort of to um, perfect the surfaces because obviously if you look at a car in the street, you know, it hasn't got ripples in the surfaces or, you know, odd joins and creases and, and stuff like that. So um, a lot of this, the, the data that we'll produce is used for manufacturing purposes. So I might make the CAD data of a component that is then used to actually sort of create the moulds for that component to manufacture it. Um, and sometimes the data that I produce will go over to a CGI person to sort of make, you know, renderings for promotional purposes or, you know, to use in a, um, you know, when a company's trying to sell a design to their manager or whatever. So, yeah, I'm that sort of middleman um, that, that kind of, yeah, I realise the designs, I guess, in um, a 3D form on the computer. Um, and Alias is just a very, very complex automotive programme that, we use to do that, I guess. Yeah, and so when you look at you, or like you guys as a team, like what is that? What is that atmosphere like for you when you when you walk through the door in the office? Like what is that on a day to day basis like? So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, each month the podcast has a sponsor that I love and I believe helps the car community, and this month's sponsor does precisely that. I've been a big fan of Fuel for quite some time now, especially when it comes to working out, and I've got some exciting news to share with all of you. I recently discovered Huel's ready-to-drink milk, and it's a total game-changer. Not only is it delicious, but I'm a big fan of the chocolate flavour, and I'm a bigger fan of the 26 essential vitamins and minerals you need to go about your day. And let me tell you, it came in super handy during a recent 24-hour trip to a certain German racing track. Instead of eating unhealthy petrol station food, 
Huel kept me energised and focused on and off track. So if you are on the hunt for a quick and easy meal option, go to huel.com forward slash ignition to receive your free t-shirt and shaker and support the podcast. Now, back to the episode. You know, uh, without wishing to sound cliche or cheesy, um, we are like a family here. Um, I think that's one of the things really that I was looking for in a job. I wanted to go somewhere that um, was going to, as, as quite a sensitive person, I wanted someone that was going to nurture me a bit and, you know, I'd feel supported in. Um, we're a very small team here and we have a lot of, you know, camaraderie. There's a lot of a lot of fun. We'll get the music on. We'll have a lot of jokes um, and we're all, everybody's very supportive of, of one another. So, you know, we have quieter days and busier days, but generally you come through the door and, and you know, Everybody's always pretty pleasant. Um, there's always someone doing a round of tea or whatever, um, which I don't drink, never. Um, so I don't make it either. But no, it is. It's generally it's um, it's a really nice atmosphere here. Um, we've all got each other's backs, and we all have our individual roles. But you know, we play play to the best of our strengths. And I think, you know, obviously producing good work is is at, at the centre of of what we all do. So um, I think, you know, we all just click so well as a team. Um, and I think, you know, Chris is very selective about who comes to work here because it's about getting the right people with the right attitude and making sure that it's somebody that's going to, you know, sort of sit on the same level as everybody else. So, you know, I think we're all kind of handpicked to work well together. And, and we do, we work really well together. So, yeah, it's just nice to be part of a team where, Everybody is so, um, I think we've all, we all bring our A game and we're all passionate about it, but we don't take things so seriously that, um, you know, we're sat and nobody talks or whatever. We all, we have a laugh, we have a joke, we have social events and stuff like that too. So it's a really nice balance. Yeah. And so if I was to say to you, like, Harry, like, what, what, are you, what are you great at? What is the thing that, when you look at the team and the people around you, what is the thing that you're the best at? Um, I think I'm a people person, really. Um, and so I think obviously I'm employed to sit and do cab modeling, but I think, um, well, what I'd like to think that I bring to the team that, that I do best is, is, you know, to come in and just sort of, um, be there for anybody that needs and to, to keep that camaraderie up and, and going and to organize things for us to do and just sort of, uh, you know, I, I, I take it as a personal responsibility, I think, wherever I go anyway, just to sort of like um, maintain team spirit, I think. Um, and so I, I don't know, that probably sounds awfully uh, self-centered, but, um, you know, as I said, I'm a people person, I'm very sociable. So I think to me, obviously, I come in and I do my job every day. But um, the, the biggest thing is I just like to come in and, and sort of, you know, get everybody talking and, and, and make sure the atmosphere in there is um is, is good. So um I I guess that's what I'd say I'm I'm best at. Well I'm better at that than I am at cab modeling anyway, so <laughs> Yeah, no, they, they, I mean, the reason I asked the question is it's just interesting to find out like sort of the dynamic in the teams. Like knowing that you can kind mm-hmm. of see like you know even though you do you say you are an A list, you you do you are a cab model like it's, it's finding the things that you enjoy at work. I mean, in terms of that that thing you enjoy at work, it's clearly people. Mm. And so, like, mm. it must that must go back to you know, you on LinkedIn trying to grow that, and and you at university, like you said, it's a very social atmosphere. But when you look at it, it's only social because you're social. Like, if I walked in yes. there, I'm I'm quite an introvert. I probably wouldn't start speaking to anyone because I, I just quite like to get mm. my head down. So that's yeah, no, I'd say that's probably why. And I think I, I was always the person at university that, that got involved and organised things and tried to get things off the ground. I was always the one that was in the studio from eight o'clock in the morning until, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. So I think people would go in and, and I was always there. Um, and I think, you know, whilst I don't do that here now because I appreciate my free time, um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, when, when we get somebody in that's a new starter, I like to try and find out who they are. And, and you know, again, I take it as a personal responsibility to make sure that they feel welcome here um, and that they know where things are and, and what's going on and how things work. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I'm ever since I've been here, I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can, you know, beyond my role as possible. Um, and, you know, for example, I'm, I'm organising an open day, um, 
next month for the Cov Uni graduates who have just finished and and you know I, I really like doing stuff like that so I think you know it's just being a good team player um, and and being somebody that everybody kind of feels that they're comfortable around I think is hopefully my biggest strength yeah no it's great because it's like I mean if I if I, I mean if I went to university I, I, I imagine like those open days can be quite useful in terms of figuring out like where you want to be, who you want to work for, the kind of work that's out there, and in terms of yeah. in terms of the kind of work that's out there, without telling me, you know, the clients you have, or because I know you can't, but what is this kind of stuff that you've enjoyed doing most? Like, what are the projects you're working on that you go, oh, actually, that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I will always be drawn to anything that's a sports car or a supercar. At the end of the day, um, but obviously when you do things like that day in day out that can get boring as well um and i think since you know i've been here just under two years and i think one of the the best things actually um that i remember doing is i i had some uh, yacht work to do um and it was it it was quite mundane work in comparison to some of the stuff that we do but it was furniture for a yacht and i was just having to take the cad surfaces that they'd produced on an engineering package and remake it nicer um and i don't know i just really enjoyed doing that because it was simpleish work um it wasn't particularly complicated so i could do it i could do it very well um but it was just nice to look at something different that that wasn't automotive for a little bit um and you know, you say about doing something thinking, wow, this is really quite cool. Well, uh, you know, I'd already had a bit of experience in yachts at uni, but never, mm. you know, anything that was actually going to materialise. So to do something that um, is actually going to go on a yacht that's going to cost millions of pounds for some luxury, per, um, you know, some luxury lifestyle in, in the middle of the Mediterranean or something is quite... I, there's just something about that that really excited me I think so um you know as I say I love the supercar stuff and the sports cars and and anything like that but that was a really nice really really cool thing to do that I really enjoyed yeah and I, I mean I I'm quite a, I like to ruminate about the future I've got I like again I, I, my I like thinking about the future I don't know if you do but um it's something that I like I ask on the podcast quite a lot is like so if you could I mean if you look at yourself in maybe three four years time like what is the goal? Like, do you have a, a dream job? Uh, you know, do you want to start your own co- like consultancy? Do you, like, what do you want to do? In, I mean, if I said Harry in 30 years is going to be doing X, what would X be? Mm. Goodness. Um, see, again, you know, for somebody that's always had such a vision, it's really difficult to answer that. And I think, you know, I'm quite fresh in my career. I'm, I'm fresh in the industry. I've only just got here, really, even after just um, just under two years. Um, but I think if there's one thing that I've learned since I started this job is that I've spent so many years of my life aiming towards this point, this moment in time, this career, um, that now I've got a job that's on that ladder. I realise that the most important thing in life is just to be happy. And so, again, without wishing to sound really cliche, I, I'd like to hope that in 30 years time, um, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm just happy. Um, and, and fulfilled in life and experience and things. But if I had to really sort of pinpoint down on, on um, you know, a, a particular job, I guess, you know, what I'm doing at the moment is is really good, but just at a more senior level and maybe contracting. Um, but coming back to the fact that I'm a people person, I think um, I see myself being a bit like Chris that, that works here. Um, you know, I, I, I want to manage a team of people um, because I, I do feel, and I, as I say, I'm, I am quite new to the industry. I'm not the best at what I do at the moment, and I don't know if I ever will be. But what I do think I do well is is coordinate people to do things. Um, and so I think, you know, something that I'd like to aim towards is to maybe have a consultancy or something like that, like Drive, um, and to, to manage a team of people to do what I do really well together. Um, so... I mean, that's a couple of answers, isn't it, isn't it really, um, in one? But, um, yeah, I think that that would be, you know, in this industry, that, that would be my aim, um, to, yeah. to manage a, a team of other people to do it really well, hopefully. So, um, But who knows what could happen in that time? It's a long time. So Yeah. No, it's, it's the only reason I ask is because it's the stuff like I look at, look at what AI is doing now and wonder how that would affect mm. your job. Um, and, I mean, your opinion, yeah. what, would, what does AI look like for designers, modelers? 
Yeah, I was only having this conversation the other day, you know, um, I mean, everybody's talking about it at the moment anyway. And I think you're either somebody that is really thinking, oh, my God, this is incredible, like embrace it. And they're doing it all the time and posting it all on the Internet. Or you're somebody that feels quite the opposite. Um, And I think I'm leaning more towards the opposite side of things that I'm not not such a fan of it, um, which I don't know if that's a good thing to say publicly or not. I I don't know. But um, I um, I appreciate you know, the manual side of things. I appreciate the human touch. Um, and I think a lot of people in, in you know, this industry do so too. Um, I think there is a place for AI in design, um, but with the whole CAD side of things and, and what I do specifically, I currently don't know where that fits in. Um, I mean, I, I, know that I think there's been talk of them developing software that can produce CAD surfaces in AI or something like that. But, I, you know, how good that is, I don't know. How good that will ever be, I don't know. And I think just like, you know, the industry in small parts are still using clay modelers or, or you know, hard modelers that hand make a model, I think there will always be that need for, um, you know, a human touch on, on anything, whether that's the design or the CAD or, you know, actually, you know, fit and finish or, or something like that. So... Um, I, I, if I'm being completely honest, I, I think the whole AI thing, um, or maybe I'm just being hopeful here, I, I think that it will quieten down at some point soon. Um, you know, I, I just relate it back to everybody was talking about NFTs this time last year, and, and where's that now? You know, that's the future. Um, so maybe I'm hoping, maybe it'll be the case, but I'm, I'm, I kind of I think that it will. Uh, still be used but perhaps die a bit of a death in terms of it being absolutely everywhere so um, but we'll see we'll see could you could you see it making your job easier could you see it you know improving the way you do your job if you could harness it and obviously you're not a fan of it but like what would you do to maybe make your life easier if it was possible yeah um i think that that's difficult to answer on the cad side of things really because i think what what we do is so um intensive i think you know where people have been using it in in, in design applications is is probably the most effective thing at the at the moment anyway where they can sort of input um you know a a design idea and ask it to give them you know multiple variations or something like that um and so I, i i really i don't know enough about it really to sort of comment on what it could do in in my job specifically because you know i say that i'm an alias designer or whatever but um my sort of input in the design if you like is 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 limited to you know mm. doing it as i'm building the cab model um so if if ai can come along and 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 build that cab model for me and it'd be perfect then do you know what maybe that is great um <laughs> but i i i just don't know if that well i don't know it's not probably not impossible but it's beyond me as to whether that'll actually happen or not but if if it could, then then maybe that would be a good thing, and maybe I would harness it because uh, yeah. it saved me a job certainly. So, but I don't I don't feel at this point in time I don't feel threatened by it with with my job really. Um, I think if you're a designer, maybe more so, but as a CAD modeler, I think it's got a long way to go yet. Yeah, for enough because you'd have to teach the software, and teach the nuances of the software before it got anywhere near where you guys are today. And isn't yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, I know we're coming towards the end, Harry, but there are sort of a, a five quick questions I ask at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, first sure. one of those being, what is your ultimate three-car garage? Oh, goodness. God, that's, oh, that's the worst question I think you could ask somebody, really. That's a car person. Um, right, okay. Well, I would probably... My lottery win car is a, um, a Ferrari 355 GCS. Mm. Um, has to be red with cream inside. Has to be the GCS with the Targa roof because it's cool. Um, and a Capristo exhaust specifically. Um, <laughs> go nice. look it up after. Go on YouTube and find a 355 with Capristo exhaust. You'll know why. Um, I probably, oh Christ, I'd probably have a, a Carrera GT, I think, just because I think that's one of the most beautiful things on the planet. Um, and then, God, I, th- I think I'd probably, this is a bit of a wild card one now, but um, I, I think I'd have a, um, a Z4 GT3 car. Uh, the the racer car they use I think they used them about six or seven years ago in the in the GT racing um, and uh, they sound like Spitfires um, and 
you know, cars, noise, that's that's what it's all about for me. So I'd, I'd probably have one of those as my third car and make somebody drive it around a track for me just so I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't drive it yourself? Um, I'd give it a go, but do you know what? I just the, the, the noise those cars make have been known to make me emotional. So um, I think I'd be happy just, just hearing it. Hearing it from outside. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, the next question is, you have one car to drive on any road or track, but you can only do it once. Where would you go and what would you take? Okay, so it would be it'd be the 355, mm. definitely. Uh, yeah, um, need I say no more. Um, and I would probably take it to Monaco, but um, just on a normal day, not when the F1's there or anything, just a normal day in the summer, cruising around Monaco with the roof off. Um, I think that's what I'd do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, fantastic. I mean, why not? Why not just, you know, enjoy the little nuances of life while we still can? Um, but yeah, no, the next question was asked to me ages ago. Um, I just, I stole it cause I think it's brilliant. And it was, um, mm-hmm. what was the one thing you'd do if money was, you didn't need money to live and it wasn't a construct that we abided by? Like what would the thing, what would you do for a living? What would be the job you'd have? Goodness. Um, I mean, if not a racing driver, then I think something that I've always loved the idea of um, is being like a automotive journalist or photographer, probably for something like Evo magazine, you know, where they go round round the world with cool cars, and you know, someone just their job is to photograph them at all these crazy locations. I think probably something like that. I think you know, coming back to my own job, the one thing I do regret about it is just that. I don't get to experience all these cars hands-on all the time. So I think, yeah, probably like an automotive photographer and journalist mm. where I can actually experience the cars. Just have interest, why, why is that a regret? Um, I, th- I think it's just that, um, you know, I'm so passionate about cars. I, I say regret like it's bad. I love my job, but um, I am sat at a desk and I do wish that sometimes that I could just go out and, you know, I've got mates who... who work as race mechanics and stuff like that and I see pictures on their Instagram where they're sat in a race car wheeling it around at the pit lanes or you know just actually experiencing them so I I just yeah sometimes I do think oh it'd be nice to do something that's really really hands-on with the cars where you actually get to hear them see them you know do stuff with them but um I say regret I I I love my job I absolutely love it you know it's yeah I guess term of a it's just just a way of putting it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I ask is just where we, you know, it's, it's helpful to know that, you know, reflect on what your life so far. And I, I look back at what I've done so far. Like I say, I'm going back to what you said about LinkedIn thing. Like, I guess it's what I'm doing now is I'm trying to speak to as many people as possible in the industry, show my face, and hopefully someone goes, this, this, this guy's got something. But yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. something that I, I do. I sit down, I sit down and record these twice, maybe three times a week. And it's like, what, you know, I could be doing, it could, I could be doing this in Monaco, I could be doing this in Silverstone interviewing life yeah. but i can and then you know there's you got a whole life to live so why not yeah. why not do it later on exactly and i think one of the things that i've 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 learned um you know particularly since starting uni um and with my own things that i do as well because i do artwork in my free time and i sell them on commission and everything um and one of the things i've really learned is just that um i love having conversations with people i love meeting new people that are doing different things and, and talking about you know what they do and, and their experiences and, and with cars and, and you know the people they know and, and everybody's a link to somebody else so um you know I love networking I love meeting new people and having these conversations and so um you know I just like more of that definitely in the future I think yeah. Uh, and yeah the next the next question is Harry um oh, this podcast is mainly here just to you know, show the stories and tell the stories of people in the industry. And one other thing I like to ask is like, what is the advice you'd give to a, a younger you or someone that wants to pursue something with their passion? Um, I think, you know, firstly, just if, if you want it bad enough, obviously just keep going for it. But something that I've been having a lot of conversations with people about recently um, is I think just don't sacrifice your happiness for things. Um, and I think, you know, as I say, if you want something bad enough, obviously you're going to do anything for it. So, you know, never give up that fight, but just remember that, uh, time is passing you by on the way. Um, and I don't, 
regret anything that I've done or any other time that I've spent. But I, you know, I'm just constantly aware that um, you know I'm 24 years old and there's things that I want to experience and I want to do in life, um, and I want to do those things whilst I'm young. Um, so I think it's just make sure that you're sort of giving yourself time to experience life and, and, and do things that you want to do as well as sort of pursuing something that you want really bad. Um, and just, you know, not forgetting that there's more to life than, than your career, I think, you know, and just living a little bit. I think that's it's, it's so, so important. You know, we get one life and it's a lot shorter than we would like, probably. Um, you know, you never know when it's morbid, but you never know when your time might come. So I, I mm. think it's just, you know, make sure you're doing what you enjoy um, as well as, you know, that, that pursuit of whatever you want, whatever that goal is. Yeah, no, no I completely agree. And, and the last question is, Harry, uh, what do you love most about cars? What do I like most about cars? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, probably the noise <laughs> of, a, of, of particular cars, of, of a very good, particularly a Ferrari V8. <laughs> yeah. It's the noise for me. It's the noise that sells a car. Yeah. If it makes a good sound, then I'm sold. No, fantastic. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to have this chat, Harry. Thank you for coming on and telling your story. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. This is the Ignition Podcast. Get ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every Monday and Thursday. We bring you stories, valuable career tips and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world. So don't miss out. Follow the Ignition Podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide. Let's embark on this thrilling journey together. My main takeaway from this episode would be that Harry hasn't got to where he is today through luck. It's really a matter of him being optimistic and knowing that great things will happen if you work hard and follow your passion. He's also incredibly interested in other people, a tool essential when working in a team and being kind and interested in others to get the best out of yourself. The last thing that was big was that I learned that you need to enjoy life and the people around you, otherwise, what's the point? And if you enjoyed this, we also have an inspiring interview with Chris Longmore, the co-founder of Drive, and you'll love that. And so with that being said, I'm Harry and this is Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening.